Hello and welcome to another episode of the Supertop Podcast. I'm Podrick, recording from Vancouver, and we're joined today by Dennis Hennessy, recording from... I'm in Germany. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. I'm here too. Oh yeah, and that other guy, Oshin. Yeah, I'm Oshin, recording from Ljubljana in Slovenia. Dennis is with us today for reasons that will become obvious very quickly. So Oshin, we a few weeks ago we had an episode where we talked about how we wondered whether Supertop should continue to be, in part, a developer tools company. Yeah, that was the episode, What's Next for Unread, Top Hat, and Tokens. Um, and yeah, we discussed in that episode that specifically that it may, was probably the end of the road for Tokens and Top Hat, that we should like focus more of our effort back on our iOS apps instead of um, also being trying to do developer tools at the same time. And we hadn't fully reached a definite conclusion, but that was the way things were leaning by the end of that episode. Luckily, I'm very happy to say that Dennis got in touch with us after he heard that episode and we're delighted to announce that Dennis has bought tokens and top hat from us and will be taking them and they will live they will live on. It is not the end of the road. They will continue with Dennis. So that's why Dennis is here and thanks very much for joining us, Dennis, and for taking on tokens and, and top hat. Thanks. Well, I, I'm obviously very excited that uh, they're continuing to exist because uh, they were two tools that I personally was using for a, a long, long time. So your company is called Pure Assembly, and you have a few apps on the store and a few Mac apps as well. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Sure, sure. So the, my company is called Pure Assembly. I'm essentially a, a sort of a combination freelance developer and indie developer, if you like. So um most of uh, my revenue comes from regular client contracting for iOS and Mac apps. And then, of course, I have the dream, like so many of us, to uh, be able to earn a living entirely from apps that we sell and maintain um, in, this, uh, in this community. So some of the apps uh, that I have um, are iOS apps that I've developed myself, um, and two of those that, uh, that are very popular are, uh, one is called Focus Time, which is a simple uh, Pomodoro timer for you know helping you take breaks while you're working. Uh, the second one is called Gold Streaks, which is an app that helps you play this trick on your mind where if you do something like exercise every day for 10 minutes, after a while it becomes a habit and you continue doing it. Uh, so they're fine, um, but <laughs> they're slowly suffering from what uh, what all paid-for iOS apps uh, suffer from, I think, which is that people are very intolerant of paying for upfront apps. And then I have a couple of Mac apps, which, uh, which you'd call developer tools. Uh, one of them is Linguin, which is an editor to allow you manage localizations for your iOS or OS X app. And the second one is Bughub, which is a tool to let you access GitHub issues on your Mac in a you know slightly better and different way to using the web interface. Uh, interestingly, both of those uh, were originally developed by different people, and I took them over, I think, both of them about maybe three or four years ago at this point. Um, so that's why I think Tokens and Top Hat complement those very well, because like those, they solve a particular need, which is not you know that mainstream. And uh, but it's something that developers run into often enough. I think that they, you know, they consider paying some money to save some time. Yeah, we used 
we used Lingguan extensively for localization in Castro 1. We, we still haven't localized Castro 2, but when we come to that, I'm sure we'll use it again. Yeah, I used Lingguan even way back in the past, back I think like seven years ago before, I guess, before you took it over, Dennis, I guess I used it on one, on my first ever iOS app. So that's an app that's been around a long time. And I remember when it was closing down and I was delighted to see that you had, you had taken it over and we're, we're going to keep it going. Very good. I'm curious, did you ever work out the stats of uh, people using localized versions of Castro One versus the English ones? Um, we found that podcasting in particular was like varied by country. Like it, it's like it hasn't hit some countries at all. Uh, Germany is huge into podcasts, so I think probably US and UK are our biggest areas, and then Germany, and then China. This isn't a promise, but when we get around to localizing Castor 2, it'll probably be German and Chinese to start with, at least. Oh, interesting. Where Castor 1, we localized Italian, French, uh, Japanese. Do you remember any other ones, Ashin? Chinese, German. There's so many. It was like 10 languages or something. Ah, okay. Interesting. As you know, once you localize for one country, it's kind of easy to just send the file off to be translated just for another one. Like, you've done the hard work at that point. So we just went ahead and... Um, and did a bunch of them. Right. I guess uh, podcast players are a bit unique in that most of the user interface is audio anyway, because they're listening to the content as opposed to staring at the app. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And one thing that surprised me during that process was that some of the German customers we were talking to during the beta pointed out that like a poor German translation was worse than just being in English, because most of them can speak English well enough, and it's... You'd, you'd rather have the app just be English and make sense rather than like weird German. So, yeah. So that, that was an interesting point during that. I'm not sure why it's relevant now, but it came into my head. <laughs> well, it's it's relevant actually because there's still a lot of low-cost uh, localization services companies that in fact use either non-technical translators are simply use Google Translate. Mm. And it's very hard to tell beforehand. And, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever used Google Translate for more than just figuring out roughly what the thing is saying, you realize, you know, it, it really isn't usually the best way of uh, representing a concept or a sentence. Yeah, for sure. So when you contacted us, Dennis, about that, you were saying that you were interested in acquiring tokens, I was very excited for two reasons. First of all, I was excited because the app could live on. But secondly, I was particularly excited because, well, because I knew you from Ireland and from the iOS developer community there. And I knew that you had other apps that were could complement tokens in a way and that you could definitely give it a good home. Um, and one of the things that we talked about in the emails as we were uh, going over the things was some of your plans for the future and ideas that you had around perhaps bundling different apps together and things like that that you could do because you have a suite of apps that complement each other. Um, how important do you think it is to keep a theme running through your apps like that? Well, I'm not sure theme is probably the right word for it. I, I think as a marketing technique, having bundles is a very powerful way to get people to spend more with you uh, bluntly. And I think sometimes people really want one tool. If you, if you see a suite of tools, you see one thing and they say, you know, I really want that. But if at that time you can, sh you can give them something else at, you know, what is 
perceived as a discount, which of course it is a discount. It's just that, you know, they may not have bought it independently. Then that's that's powerful, I think. And a lot of people I know personally, you know, things like the Steam sales are are bundles from particular publishers or whatever uh, crucify me whenever they come out. But I, so, so I'm certainly aware of that sort of inclination. It might be an Irish thing, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, but you're inclined to go for a deal, even if you end up spending more money, because, you know, you perceive that overall you get more value. And then the second thing, of course, is that you get some name recognition. If you buy one tool from somebody and you're a developer, then obviously you're more likely to use the other tools than if you were, say, an artist or a musician or or somebody random from a different field. And so there's a slight bit of benefit from association there as well, where if somebody can become aware, and I'm not sure how that happens apart from they notice it at the website or something, but if they can become aware that you also make this other thing that somebody might be interested in, then I think you increase the chances that they give you a bit of credit for support or quality or whatever from the first tool, and then they come back and they you know, perhaps get the second tool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for sure. The other way of bundling things together, I guess, or something that I've paid attention a little bit to, but I'm not actually a subscriber myself at the moment, but setup is kind of based on a similar thing where it's not necessarily bundling apps by one developer, but bundling all apps by every included developer under one subscription price. Is that something that you've looked into or something that you use yourself? I I have been looking at it, actually. Interestingly, I think that's one that uh, is, well, the way they work for people that aren't aware of Setup is the subscribers to Setup pay $10 a month. And they can download any of the apps on the Setup catalog and use them as much as they like through the month. And then at the end of the month, Setup work out how many times you've used each of the different apps. And they and I don't understand the exact formula, but basically they distribute that $10 less their margin and then prorate it based on the original cost of the app and the amount of time or launches or something of each app. So it's a little bit of a black box. But the concept is that if you use a small pool of apps, which, of course, most people do, I think, you probably only use, you know, if you're a normal user, probably half a dozen apps all the time, and then other ones, you know, as you need them. And maybe developers, because they have more tools, use more. But if you, if you end up using a particular app from that catalog all the time, then slowly you can make the money you would have made with a direct license sale. And so actually, I think Top Hat is a very applicable uh, app for that kind of model because it sits in your menu bar. Uh, so it's, you know, it's running all the time. Yeah, versus tokens where, like, as a developer, you launch a new app once a year or you do a marketing push once or twice. And I guess Lingwan, same thing, where, like, it's great when you need it, but you don't need it every day. Exactly, yeah. Do you see eventually getting into like being fully supported by indie apps or do you think you'll always do some contract work? <laughs> I have this idea that at some point I'm going to stumble on the idea, you know, <laughs> that everybody just says, oh, my God, I have to have that. Um, so I certainly haven't stumbled on it yet. But but I mean, you know, the idea is that we keep trying things, uh, whether it's new ways 
new products, our new ways of selling what we're doing, our new ways of marketing it or, or whatever. And at some point, it becomes sustainable. I mean, funny, I was only thinking the other day uh, with the panic. I, I, I guess you guys saw the panic la- launched a new version of uh, Transmit. So they're clearly have achieved this kind of indie goal of being able to support a lot of salaries. I don't know how big their team is, but... It, 10 to 13, 15, something like that. So what I was thinking about the other day as, as I was listening to this uh, Transmit news was whether you had to be some minimum size and, and you know, have enough skills, like presumably they have people who are really good at marketing and support and promotion and whatever. The, the big challenge, I think... Uh, solo indie developers have is that you kind of get into this game because you can develop and so that's great but but i wonder if the other skills are the ones that you know end up being critical to whether you're actually a commercial success or not i think you're on to something there dennis Uh, yeah i don't know i think there's one overall lesson there of like if you can just keep alive for long enough eventually you'll figure out these parts so having something like contract worth to pay the bills while you keep chipping away at, you know, figuring out how to make the indie life work for you. I think there's a lot to be said for that because I think a lot of people make their app, launch it, get disappointed, and then within a year or 18 months, they're, they've given up and moved on and it just takes longer to develop all the skills, I think. One thing about indie life and about the goals even that we have as indie developers is, I mean, I think what's important about it is perhaps something about what kind of lifestyle we're looking for or what's important to us um, and like what can we do to kind of help ourselves support that so like for me for example I like to be able to be location independent and to move about the place and stuff like that and I think that's something that's important to you as well Dennis is it? My wife and I we bought a a motorhome a few years ago and uh, right now we spend about half the year traveling around Europe and working as we go. So because, you know, I, t- I tend to get like a normal work day done, but it's spread between, you know, we might move for an hour in the morning and we might take an hour off in the at lunchtime or whatever. But it lets us, you know, one of the great things about the Internet and the ability to work remotely is that is that it enables these you know you don't have to go to an office every day and you don't have to deal with uh, commuter traffic and and you know one of the things that i really like about the about the indie lifestyle like you say again is it lets you make choices for yourself you know if you're working for you know a large corporation or something um, typically you know you kind of have to do what people higher up the uh, the management chain want you to do and your choices at some point are you know go and find somewhere else or knuckle down and do that thing you know and it might be you know it might be just boring you know it might not be bad or anything you know it might just be a particular bit of code that you you know doesn't really make you excited about writing one of the things about like the core of being independent is that you get to make these choices yourself every day and that doesn't mean you don't choose sometimes to write a boring bit of code because you know you need a uh, you need a, something on a server or you need some administration or you need whatever but at least you know you're choosing to do it and you know even if you're in a small company that's independent you know you you have enough of a voice at that table to say you know no we're 
we're not going to build a mobile, a Windows phone version, or we're not going to do, you know, whatever. And how long have you, have you always worked this way? Or did you used to have a, a different wor- uh, work style and you realized that you wanted to move away from it? Or um, So no, I've, uh, before uh, this phase of my life, um, I started a, a company that was a, an enterprise telecom software company with a, with a couple of friends of mine back in 95, I'm thinking around that, around that year. And we, we made enterprise style software for telecom companies. And at that time, the way to do that was that you came up with a good enough concept of what you were going to build, that you got, you know, you went to investors, you got seed money and you got, uh, you know, different stages of investment from uh, venture capitalists. And in return for that money, what they really want is for you to grow fast. That means expanding, getting a lot of people. And so uh, I spent uh, about 13 years, I think, with that company before leaving it. But even though I was one of the founders, you know, very quickly, I found that, first of all, we had, you know, very big commitments to customers these are enterprise customers, where you really don't have that much of a voice anymore. You know, you can't, you know, when you're, when you're like, when you've got 50 developers, say, on a project, you can suddenly say, you know, I think this Swift thing could be going places. Let's move from Objective-C to Swift or something like that. Um, or, or, and the same applies, you know, to all sorts of things from, what kind of database you're using, what platforms you're supporting, what languages, and and so on. And so uh, I got tired of that after, you know, once it had had grown past the, you know, kind of exciting early stages where you're making things and, and, you know, people are excited, you're making deals and blah, blah, blah. Eventually, you get to the point where you're just going in to work. And I realized I wasn't really that excited about going into work. And so I, I, I... decided to try something where I would explicitly not grow to where there was a lot of people. The other thing, sorry, the other thing I missed in all of that was, of course, you start developing because, you know, there's only two or three of you in the company and everybody's hands on deck. But very quickly, as you, you know, you're doing this growing for VCs, you realize that you need to kind of step up and not be developing, but instead be managing and, and helping them do their best work because that's more effective it just isn't very enjoyable so uh, back in i think it was 2007 2008 somewhere around there i i left that and started this and my idea originally with the name was that i would find other people with sort of the same idea that they just wanted to be independent and sort of come together as peers to build things and uh, you know I, I imagine some of them would be artists or musicians or or whatever, and we would make things and we would live off the proceeds of those things because obviously we were all the best at what we could do. <laughs> do you have a few uh, colleagues that you work with at Peer Assembly or do you just mean we as in we the company? Oh, so so right now Peer Assembly is just my wife and I and she helps with the business management and finance and all that stuff and I do the development side. By the we I meant I had assumed that there would be other people that we would sort of collaborate on particular projects. I remember way back in the 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 early days of electronic arts um 
if I if I'm remembering the history right, there was a guy called Trip Hawkins, I think, started Electronic Arts, and his original idea was to create these sort of production company uh, within the framework of EA to make games. This is back at the kind of the Amiga time and all those, and. Um, and I remember thinking that is a terrific idea. So he would find all these, you know, um, artists and, and, and coders and whatever, bring them together, make a game, then disband the team and do something new and everybody be excited for the game. Um, now, EA has completely changed since then. And now it's, you know, it's, it's a big company making games the best way they can. So, and I've no idea what Trip Hawkins is doing. But I, I kind of had that idea where it would be really cool to work with people who were, you know, passionate in a completely different area, but without all the baggage of a big company. And the idea would be, you know, we're all kind of independent. We come together to make something. And if we make it and push it out there, then we leave it. And, you know, it's sort of passive income for everybody. And we all go on to do other things, which could be make something else. And I did that with a few different people, which actually worked very well from a sort of works point of view. You know, it was very exciting. Uh, but none of them were really that commercially successful. And, you know, you, you, after a while, you realize that in order to stay independent, that your kind of job one is you have to be able to pay the mortgage every month and you have to be able to, you know, just ensure that three months down the road, you're still not having to get a job with, you know, sort of an enterprise company. So that, uh, I think today for somebody starting in this life means somehow, uh, you know, doing doing enough work that for, for other people that you have some time left that you can invest in, you know, your kind of indie products. This episode of the Supertop podcast is brought to you by Steamclock Software. Steamclock is the number one supporter of the Supertop podcast, and we thank them for that. We've told you plenty about them before, but today we want to talk specifically about their Bluetooth expertise. Building apps that reliably talk to Bluetooth hardware can be tricky. Apple's core Bluetooth APIs are pretty low level and they offer enough flexibility to really make a mess of it if you're not experienced with Bluetooth. Steamclock have built a lot of Bluetooth apps in recent years, ranging from medical apps to solar lighting apps, and they've learned a lot along the way about what does and doesn't work well. Using those lessons, they built a framework for building reliable Bluetooth apps. They call it BlueJ, and in June, it had its first public release. So if you're a developer looking to work with Bluetooth, you should definitely check out BlueJ on GitHub. We'll have a link in the show notes. And if you're not a developer, but you're looking for the perfect development team to integrate Bluetooth into your app or build a new product from scratch that uses Bluetooth, then Steamclock is the perfect team for you. You can find out more about Steamclock, the services they offer, and the philosophy behind their approach to work at steamclock.com. Thanks to Steamclock for sponsoring this episode. And once again, check out steamclock.com if you need a great team to work on your product. I was curious what your guy, both of your ideas were when you started Supertop. Uh, you know, you kind of started it, and then your, your first job is you have to make that this first product. Um, what what was your your mindset going into that, and kind of how how did that evolve then? It's interesting because sometimes I kind of forget that tokens is the first thing that we worked on together, and now you now. Now it's time to hand that over, I guess. Um, but when we started tokens, 
I think we hadn't fully committed yet to the idea that oh, we're definitely going to be a partnership and we're going to be working together for the next five years. Um, it was more kind of like some of the scenarios I think that you're describing where Podrick did some work with some other guys and I did some work with other people as well and we decided it might be fun to do a project together. And over time, we just went from that project to another project to another project and we just have have stayed together I guess um, ever since then but at the start it was more yeah let's try out a project and see how it goes. I remember thinking at the time that people were still pretty positive about making a living on the app store I think it was 2011-ish is that when we made it 2012 maybe I mean I guess the real gold rush was over at that point but there was still I think some hope that you could make an app on the app store and strike it rich somehow and I remember thinking well, what we should do is try to sell spades during a gold rush. Like we don't we don't go digging for gold, but we make the thing that everyone needs to buy. And iTunes Connect was a mess at the time and was really hard to use. Um it's got a little bit better well, it's got a good bit better now. And as it turned out, I think a lot of the benefit of tokens was more the knowing if the end user has actually clicked on a token or not. Like that's one of the exciting features, which you still obviously don't get with iTunes Connect. But yeah, that was part of the mindset was to like make a tool that would be useful to everyone trying to make it in the app store rather than rolling the dice ourselves. So you got in touch with us about acquiring tokens. Um, what about tokens excited you? The, I think you, you hit it there a moment ago. One, the big thing about tokens is partly the, you know it's a little easier to generate the promo codes. But the big thing is knowing whether somebody actually used them or not. Because of course, with the Apple... Uh, standard promo codes you've no way of telling that and a lot of times i think if you're you know if you're if you're really trying to get somebody interested in your app or are you sending it to a few different people i think you know i tend i know i know it's got notifications and all that but i tend to leave it on the screen or on the side screen or something and look at it to see how long before they actually redeem the token i also really like that i don't have to like I won't hassle people who don't even click the token. I won't follow up with them because I know I'm just annoying them at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit addictive that way. And so how about for the future of tokens? Have you have you thought about things that you'd like to do with it or is there any of that stuff you'd like to reveal? Have you decided when you're going to rewrite it in Swift, for example? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I'm not rewriting it in Swift. <laughs> so that's that. Um, I mean, uh, really, so obviously, you know, I've had some time to go over it now. And for something that was written a long time ago, obviously, you modernized it over the years. I guess it was written before Arc, was it? I guess it probably was. Uh, yeah, I think we converted to it. I'm not sure when Arc happened, but it might have been right around then, so... Yeah, yeah. So the, the gist of it uh, is fine, I think. And the only thing in ongoing maintenance is whether, you know, if Apple obviously change things, then you have to react to that and get, get updates out. Uh, Feature-wise, the only thing in my mind right now, you know, without committing to something I've no idea what's involved in, is the ability to do uh, tokens for in-app purchases. Because I think, you know, for freemium apps, you can just push on the store and say, you know, please download my app. But a lot of these will have paid for in-app purchases. So there's still a lot of value in being able to give people 500 blue coins or whatever the, the in-app product you have. 
Yeah, that's something that we had a lot of requests for, uh, even from before Apple officially supported in-app promo codes. Um, people wanted to know if there was like some way that we could offer some sort of service that would be not based on Apple's promo codes, but that would like be an equivalent service that could help people um, give away content in their apps for free. Um, for a long time, that was actually against uh, App Store policy, so we knew we couldn't do it. But then when Apple did recently release promo codes for in-app purchases, we got another flurry of emails then at that stage about it. So um, if that is something that you are could do in the future, I think that would be something people would be very interested in. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a good idea for sure. And I think that the overall trend in the App Store is obviously away from paid apps, paid upfront. How about Top Hat? Because that's one that we even often leave out of the conversation ourselves, even when we're privately talking about it. We just always talk about tokens. And when we're talk, talking about emails that we're sending you, it's always about tokens and stuff like that. But Top Hat also is in there as part of the part of the transaction. And obviously, it's based on a lot of the same technology. It shares a framework with tokens for communicating with iTunes Connect. Um, but how do you feel about Top Hat going forward? Well, so the big thing with Top Hat, I mean, Top Hat has earned its cost many, many times for me. Way back when App Figures launched, and I think it was around the time I was doing some project with somebody else, and we, we had some sort of revenue deal on it. And I remember signing up to App Figures when I think you got three apps for $5 or something. I can't even remember what it was. And... It wasn't so much the the analytics. It was the daily report that they would send out by email. And we signed up for this thing. And then slowly as I did more apps or was in, involved in more apps, uh, these would all get added to this report that came out every day. And there's something about every day getting a notice that says, hey, you know, you sold 47 copies of this yesterday. Um, I, I'm making that up because I've never sold 47 copies of anything <laughs> in a single day. But you get this thing in and, and it shows you, it kind of gives you a pulse of what your, you know, your kind of indie products are doing. Anyway, around the time when you guys announced Top Hat, I realized I was paying, I was at 15 or $18 a month for my, the app figures uh, because it goes up by app. And the only thing I was using it for was this daily heartbeat of how my products were doing. And so the the super thing about Top Hat was, of course, it was a one-off purchase. I sit on my menu bar and I'm working away. And then every now and then it lights up and says, you know, here's here's what happened yesterday. So I think for people who don't need the deep analytics, uh, but really want sort of to keep uh, like I said, the finger on the pulse of how their sales are doing. I think it's it's by far the best solution for that. I think the pitch for it for us was it's really nice to be able to see a summary overview, like you mentioned, like the email you used to get from App Figures, um, without all the detail and without needing to log in and check on it. And also, I thought this would be more of an angle, but we didn't get any feedback about it. Uh, not giving your iTunes account details to a third-party service and involving third-party servers. I thought more people would care about that, and I don't think that angle really caught in general. But yeah, anyway, I I hope you have better luck with it than we did because I feel like it's a worthwhile app and that it's useful. 
and that because it doesn't have its own server cost, it can be just a one-off purchase. You mentioned there the idea of like checking your sales first thing in the morning and like depending on where you are in the world, what time they might come out. One thing that I realized and that it just occurred to me there that could be a fun thing to do with Top Ad in the future is even much earlier than Apple officially released the sales figures for yesterday, there's actually a preliminary figure that you can get on iTunes Connect by going in and manually changing the date. And sometimes it's available like as early as 10 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, so like 1 a.m. New York time, sometimes just already a preliminary result for yesterday there. And it's usually, I mean, it is something that you would have to qualify as being preliminary, but it's 99% of the time that I've checked it, it, it's exactly what ends up being the final sales result. So it could be kind of cool to exploit something like that and kind of be able to say that like top hat shows you your preliminary sales earlier than any other app or, or something like that could be a could be a fun way to to position it as well in the future it's free ideas for apps i don't own anymore <laughs> <laughs> if people want to keep up with you online and find out when the next version of tokens is released what's the best way for them to do that um, i i guess uh, twitter is probably the simplest my my idea on twitter is Dennis Hennessy. That's D-E-N-I-S-H-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. You've also taken over the Use Tokens Twitter account as well, right? I don't know if it's t- tweeted yet, but once the announcement is made officially, that's that Twitter account is in your capable hands moving forward as well. Thanks so much for taking over Tokens. Um, we're excited because you know developer tools so well and you're set up well to take Tokens forward. Thanks very much for the opportunity. You know, I think there's a natural inclination to abandon things if you're focused on something else and i really appreciate the you know the chance to to keep it going thanks dennis all right thanks so much okay well thanks dennis for joining us today to talk about tokens and top hat thanks even more for taking over those products i really look forward to seeing how they go into the future and i'm really glad that we don't have to just shut them down so thank you dennis for that thanks again to steam clock for sponsoring this episode um if you have a product or service that you would like to pitch to our discerning listeners please get in touch with at support at supertop.co and we'll be happy to discuss potential sponsorship opportunities with you for the future um thanks again to dennis for joining us and thank you for listening and for getting all the way to the end don't forget to leave a review on apple podcasts bye guys next week we're going to sell a sheen <laughs> Yeah, we'll see about that.